You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, praise the Lord. Let's pray, and let's get into the Word. All right, y'all ready? Yes. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you once again for this, another opportunity to gather around your word, Father, and to feed upon the bread of life. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we look to be taught tonight. We look to receive revelation and insight. Father, we're just so grateful for how good you are to us. And so, Lord, we just agree together in faith for revelation, for insight, for each and every one to have hearing and anointed ears to hear, and that, Father, we'll be mindful to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it as well. And we thank you, Lord, that we'll be changed by the word that we hear tonight, and we believe you for it and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, we are... uh, Continuing our study, we're just we're doing a refresher study on faith and looking at some essentials of faith, and so that's what we're going to get into tonight. If you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and we're going to look at, start out by looking at what is faith, and so there's no better place to find a definition for faith than Hebrews 11.1. 1. It gives it uh, to us pretty clear. So Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, I'm going to read it to you initially from a couple of translations, the New King James and then the Amplified Bible. And then in just a few moments, we'll look at it in the Passion Translation. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, gives us the definition. It says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So reading it again, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I'm going to read it from the Amplified. The Amplified is a little wordy, but it it really defines it well. So it says this, now faith is the assurance, and then it says this in parentheses, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Although that's a a long definition and just a wordy uh, definition, I like it. I I think it really goes into it. And I love the way how it says, now faith is the, the confirmation or the title deed. And very often I say this, you know, Um, these days when you uh, make a hotel reservation, they'll give you a confirmation number and that confirmation number is given to you to assure you that you have, when you show up at that hotel, that you have a room waiting for you. It's your proof that that room is there and it's yours even before you even physically see the hotel. You know, we can make reservations at hotels we've never been to, only seen pictures maybe online or something along that line. And so uh, what what that reservation does is it makes sure that you have what it is that you have reserved. And that's exactly what faith does. And even though 
um, what we might be hoping for. We haven't actually seen physically in this natural arena, in the natural realm. What faith does is it gives us the confirmation that what we have hoped for, we actually already possess. And then uh, the Amplified also says it's the title deed. Now, you know, here in my desk, I have the the title to my car, which is sitting outside. And, you know, I don't have to go out every two or three minutes and look and make sure that my car still exists uh, and that it's still in my name and that the state of North Carolina still recognizes that it belongs to me. No, I have a piece of paper that proves all of that. It proves that even though I can't see that car out there, it proves that it is mine that it uh, is wholly mine and that, uh, you know, that it's all paid for and everything and it belongs to me. And so faith is exactly the same thing for the things that we have hoped for. And so what that means is that without having to see what you have prayed about, what you're hoping for, what you're believing for, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, your faith is the, the title deed. It's what you have in your hand that shows you and says to you that what you have prayed for already belongs to you. It's already in your possession. And then the Amplified goes on to say, uh, being the proof of things we do not see, of course, that's with the natural eye, and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. So what faith does, faith says this, faith belo it belongs to me whether I can see it whether I can hear it, whether I can experience it with my natural senses, faith says it is real and faith says it belongs to me. All right. Now, what I want to do is I want to take a few moments and I want us to take a look at what is hope. You know, the scripture says faith is the substance of things hoped for. So we can tell by this verse that faith and hope are connected. And um, a lot of times I believe people get the two mixed up. Uh, you know, there, there are oftentimes people think that they're operating in faith when really uh, they're operating in high expectation or high hope rather. And uh, the two are a little different, but they work together. So let's look and see what hope is. And uh, this is where I wanted to read to you Hebrews 11, one in the Passion Translation. And it says this, now faith brings our hopes into reality. So apparently hopes are good, but they're not what we need in order to bring it into the reality. Faith is what does that. And it says, and becomes the foundation to acquire the things that we long for. It's all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. So, so faith takes what we are hoping for and works with it and brings it into the realm of reality. Now, hope is good. Hope is necessary. Hope, you know, I, I, there early on when the faith movement was first starting, there were a lot of people that didn't understand what hope was. And so they thought that hope was a bad thing. No hope. Uh, let me say it to you this way. Without hope, you can't have faith. You have mm -hmm. to have one before you can have the other. And so hope has some limitations, though, and uh, there are some certain things that hope cannot do, but faith and hope do work together. So let me give you a definition of what hope is. So if you want, if you're taking notes, write this down. And again, if you miss any of this, it's on the website for you. But here's what hope is. Hope is a positive expectation 
of things in the future. Hope is a positive expectation, we can say it this way, of something that has not yet happened. Hope is, is a positive expectation of something that has not yet happened. So, you know, hope would be sound like this. Um, you know, are we going out to eat after Bible study? Well, I sure hope so. You know, it's something that's in the future. It's something that we haven't yet experienced. And, uh, you know, we're hoping that that's going to happen. You, you know, you can say, well, and I often say this at church, you know, and, and, and the reason I say this is to get people's hopes stirred up. But, you know, I close out our service by using that phrase that Oral Roberts used to say all the time. And that is this, that something good is going to happen to you this week. And so that is a, 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 a phrase, a saying of hope. Now, what I need people to do is mix their faith with it and say, yeah, I believe that that is mine. I believe that something good is going to happen to me. And so we need to understand the difference between the two. Now, one of the things that I always want to help you guys do, and that is this, understand how God operates. How does God work? And we can learn some things from the word and studying these things. And so here's what I want you to see, and that is this. God always builds our hopes before we can actually begin to operate in faith. So God will always work with us and start out building our hope and then bringing us to a place of faith. Now, there's no better... Um, study or, or uh, example of faith in the Bible, then, of course, who the Bible refers to is the father of our faith, and that is Abraham. So I want to take some time tonight, and I want us to look at the classic study of faith from Abraham's life and uh, see what God did in his life and how God brought him step by step to the place where, you know, as you know the story, at 100 years old, he and his wife gave birth to a son. So let's begin looking at this. Let's go back in the book of Genesis, chapter 12. So go back in the Old Testament with me to Genesis chapter 12. And let's see, and, and again, as I often tell you, pay attention to the details, okay? So pay attention to certain words and verbiage that God uses, okay? So Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, and this is where God begins his relationship with Abram at the time, and he says this, uh, verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And you might want to just make an underline or note that. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we think that God moved Abram to a place of using his faith right here at this moment, but that's not actually true if you'll notice, every single one of those promises and things that God declared to Abram were all future, future tense. I will make your name great. I will, you know, cause you to become a great nation and so forth and so on. So all of those things are future 
tense. You're there in chapter 12, drop down some verses uh, to verse number seven, and notice what happens here and what the Lord says. Then the Lord appeared to Abram again a second time, and he said, quote, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Okay, so again, future tense. So what is God doing? God is working to build Abram's hope, to give him something, an expectation to look forward to. Okay, so you see what God is doing. He's beginning to deal with Abram and giving him uh, hope in his heart. Now, why did God have to do this? Well, first of all, Abram was far removed from God. He and his family were idol worshipers and had no relationship with God. And so there was no grounds for Abram to even have faith in his heart. And so what God did is began to make these promises to him to begin to bring him to a place of hope. Go over to chapter 13 and look at verse 14. Abraham, uh, in Genesis 13, 14, now this is where, you know, by this time, Abram has begun his journey to the place that God was going to show him. He, of course, he took his nephew Lot with him. And in verse 14, it says, and the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, and look at what he said, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. So God begins to show him, this is what will become yours. And then in verse 17, God begins to slightly change what he's saying. He says in verse 17 of chapter 13, arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. All right. So pay attention again to the terminology, to the tense that God is using. So what we see is, is that God is instilling hope into the heart of Abram first because faith cannot work without hope. Now, here's what God would begin to do in yours and my life, and that is this. Uh, you know, if there's a need in our life and God wants to minister to us to meet that need, to heal our bodies, whatever it might be, he'll begin to introduce his word to us in order to cause hope to be generated in our hearts. And remember, what hope is, is a positive expectation of something that is yet to happen. And so God will begin to give you promises. He'll begin to make declarations to you from his word about things that he wants to do in your life. Okay, so let's continue talking about this thing, hope. Faith and hope can be broken down like this. Hope is a blueprint or a model of something that is yet to come. Okay, so if you, you know, for instance, if you're going to start out building a, a commercial building, or you're going to build a house, you know, you don't call Lowe's and, and uh, order all the materials or just guess what you're going to need, have them show up and deliver it in the front yard, and then hope it magically comes together and becomes whatever it is that you're wanting it to become. No, what you do is you go to an architect, you have an architect based on your request, your requirements, who begins to draw plans for you in the form of blueprints. And what those blueprints are designed to do is to give you a picture of the finished product in advance before the thing is ever built. 
All right. So, you know, again, he lays out the plumbing. He lays out uh, the electrical. He lays out the walls. He does everything that is necessary so that you and your hands have a picture of what your house is going to look like. So what God does is he begins to give us that blueprint where he lays out plans for us and shows us what our life can look like, what it can be like, what we can experience because of his goodness and what Jesus has done for us. And so he begins to give us that blueprint. You know, some architects will go so far as to build a little scale model. You know, a lot of times you'll see it uh, in churches. If churches are getting ready to start a building program, they'll get with an architect and the architect will Nowadays, they can do it in 3D rendering on, on the computer, but you know, it used to be where they would build a model so you could physically see what this is going to look like. Well, that's what hope is designed to do. Hope is this, and this is a wonderful thing that God has given us. Hope is the ability to imagine what is going to happen. And see, what God is endeavoring to do is to get his word into our hearts so we can begin to imagine that whatever it might be, that promise, the, the word of God coming to pass in our lives, began to get us to imagine what that would look like in my life. So, you know, and very often I, I tell people, you know, when you're meditating on the word, particularly, you know, where something like healing is concerned and you're you're learning how to believe God where healing is concerned, begin to imagine yourself as healed. If you're, you know, perhaps uh, bound in a wheelchair or something like that, begin to see yourself getting out of that wheelchair. And what you're doing is you're building a blueprint. You're building hope in your heart of what that would look like if you experienced it. And that's what you have to start with. This is where you start, okay? So God begins to build in Abram a picture of what he is, he, God, is planning to do, not only for him, but for the people that he wants to come out of him. You know, and God, uh, God begins to make these promises. God begins to lay these things out. So go over with me to Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6. And, um, you know, in, in verse 1 of chapter 15, God says, uh, you know, Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. And, and Abram questions the Lord. He says, look, you know, you're making these promises to me. And, and, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but basically what he told God was, I don't see how this is going to happen. First of all, I'm old. And, and the only person around me is this, uh, you know, this servant that I have that could bring it to pass. And so, you know, he says, look, in verse three, you have given me no offspring. offspring. Indeed, no one uh, born in my house is my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him in verse four, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come out from your own body shall be your heir. And then verse five, God does something really interesting for Abram. He really helps him out here. He says this, then God brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're unable to number or if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So God not only gives him words to focus his heart on, but he begins to give him these pictures 
see if you can count the stars, Abram, because that's how many your descendants are going to be. And then in verse six, it says, and he, Abram, believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So what you see is Abram now is beginning to make this transition from hope into faith. And then at that point, notice what it says, and he believed in the Lord. Well, see, we've made the assumption that he's been believing God the whole time. No, he hasn't. He's, he's been, he's possessed hope, but now he's coming to a place in verse six, where it says, now he believes. And when he started believing, God began to account it, put it towards his account as if he is righteous. Okay. So what, what we often do is we assume, and I, you know, maybe I've made this statement before, but I've definitely heard other people say it, that Abraham walked in faith for 25 years before he ever had Isaac. And that really is not true. God began the process of building hope and then bringing Abram to a place, and that took a 25-year process and Abram clung to that hope for all that time. But if truth be told, and I'll prove it to you from the word, that Abram only walked in faith for the last year of that time before Isaac was born. Okay, so let me give you a little back, background real quick. You know, as you know from the story, when this all this started, Abram was 75 years old. So now fast forward almost 25 years, Abram is 99 years old, and Sarah is 89 years old, all right? So, uh, you know, forgive me, I, I'm not the sharpest guy, a sharpest tool in the shed, but I don't think it's possible for 99-year-old men and 89-year-old women to have babies. I may be wrong, but I don't think that's normal, all right? And I think most of you would agree with me. So what did God do? Why did God stretch this out as far as he could? Why didn't God, you ever asked yourself this question, why didn't God tap Abram on the shoulder when he was 40 instead of waiting till he was 75? Surely God knew Abram was there. Surely he knew what, what he was doing. Surely God knew what his plans were for the children of Israel and everything that he wanted to do. Now, here's something very important. The Bible calls Abram the father of our faith. So what that means is Abram is our, or Abraham is our faith example to follow, okay? And, and secondary only to the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what God did. He stretched this as long as he could to bring Abraham and Sarah to a place where it was physically completely impossible for them to have a child, for them to have a son. In other words, there was no way in the natural that this could possibly happen. You know, if, if they were 60, you know, maybe it might happen. You know, any time before that, yeah, because, you know, even nowadays we hear about people that are in their 40s and 50s having children, but you, you know, the thing is, uh, the more the clock ticked by, the likelihood of that happening was less and less and less. So what God did is he brought them to a place where it was impossible for it to happen. Now, here's what why God did that 
is God gave them, or let me say it to you this way, God brought them to a place where there was no reason for them to hope that it could still happen on their own. Okay. All right. Let me show you some verses. All right. Uh, if Abram is to be the father of our faith, which Romans 4.11 says, he and Sarah are going to have to model faith for us. And so they needed to believe something. Now, listen, to, uh, before I read the scripture, listen to this. They, Sarah and Abraham, needed to believe for something that was completely and totally impossible and no reason to hope for. All right. Now, here's what happened. Romans 4.18. I'm going to read this to you from several translations. In the Bible, in the Amplified Bible, rather, it says this, for Abraham, and this is parenthetic, human reason for hope being gone. In other words, the age. Oh, and by the way, I forgot about this part till just now. The Bible says Sarah was never able to have children. So age wasn't even a disqualifying factor for her. She was barren her whole life. And so now the odds are doubly against them because now Abraham is 99 years old. So again, for Abraham, human reason for hope being gone, he hoped in faith that he should become the father of many nations as God had promised. The easy to read version of that same verse says this, there was no hope that Abraham would have children, but Abraham believed God and continued to hope. The Message Bible says this, when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw and couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And then the Passion Translation says this, against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. Now, why? Why did God bring them to this point? Here's why. Because if they're going to be our model and example, then they're going to have to set the standard for faith for the rest of us. Now, listen to me carefully. What this means is, you know, all of us face problems every day. We all face difficult situations, but very rarely do we face situations that are absolutely hopeless less, that, that there's no way that an answer could come. I mean, it, it, they're just, it's just impossible. Very few of us face situations like that. Now, some of us do, but what I'm saying is, is it's, it's not very common. So my point is this, if Abraham and Sarah could believe God when it was totally impossible for what God had promised them to come to pass, then us, when we face everyday problems, and there are maybe, you know, some ways that the answer could come, then that sets the standard. We ought to be able to believe God anyway. All right? Okay, so so let's let's go on in this story. So this means that if we look at the principles of faith that Abraham and Sarah used and it worked for them, then surely it will work for us, okay? Hugely, hugely important. So now, go over with me to the 17th chapter of Genesis, and let's look at verse 1, the 17th chapter and verse 1. 
So now, okay, this is, we've, we've gone 25 years in five chapters. And so in verse one, it says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, verse two, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Now, stop right there. For all you grammar whizzes out there, isn't that future tense yes. still? Okay. I think you all would agree with me. All right. So look at verse three. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant with is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. Now here's where it turned. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For look at what the terminology is. For I have made you a father of many nations. So when God established this covenant with Abram at this moment, and, and you know, not to get into a lesson on the covenant, but part of the covenant rites was a name exchange took place. So what God did is he took one of the letters out of his name and put it in Abraham's name. So every time somebody said, Abraham, you were referring to God in Abraham's name. And so what it did is it brought Abram to a place where he was now Abraham. He was in a covenant relationship with God. And at that moment, something happened in Abraham's heart where his hope now became faith. And at that moment, when his faith was realized, notice what God's terminology became. No longer was it, I will, but it became, I have. I have already made you a father of many nations. Now, let me ask you a question. In the natural, had any of the circumstances changed? No. No, not, not yet. He didn't have a son Isaac had not been born yet. There was no physical manifestation that anything had changed in the natural. But according to what God said, that those all those promises that were out there in the future that he used to generate hope in Abraham's heart, now he moved him to a place of faith where instead of, I shall be a father of many nations, now Abraham became, and by the way, the name Abraham means father of many nations. And so now it was no longer a future thing. It was a thing that Abraham already possessed. It was already his. Now, again, uh, and I want to say this to you, nothing in the natural changed. But what God had done is brought Abraham to a place where it was now I am a father of many nations, not I shall be a father of many nations. So that's why we see, go over with me to Romans chapter four, please. Romans chapter four, and let's look at verses 16 and 17. Paul writing about Abraham. And, and a little bit of this whole journey, this process of faith. Paul said this in Romans 4, 16 and 17. Therefore, it is a faith 
that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. By the way, you and I are grafted in. We're part of that family through the Lord Jesus. And when we use our faith, it's the same faith that God gave Abraham. All right. So that's what Paul is saying. But verse 17 says this, as it is written, and he's quoting what we just read from Genesis 17. Paul said this, as it is written, quote, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of whom he believed God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not as though they did. The Amplified Bible says this, that God gives life to the dead and speaks of non-existent things that he has foretold and promised as if they already existed. So we're beginning to see a little clearer the difference between hope and faith. Hope says it's going to happen. It will happen. I'm believing that it shall happen. You know, that one of these days that it, that I, I, my, my, the answer to my prayer is going to show up. One of these days I will be healed, you know, and, 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 and I encourage you not to nitpick, but you're going to have to be specific and intentional with your vocabulary. So if for, let me give you a, for an example. If you're believing God for healing in your body, be careful or, or be mindful rather as to how you verbalize that. Because if you're believing God to be healed, you're in hope and not in faith. Okay. If you're believing God and you're saying, I'm believing God that I will be healed, all right, that sounds good, and it's the first part, but that's not faith, okay? You got to bring it from a place of in the future to something you already possess now, and that's why, you know, using healing for an example, you know, 1 Peter 2.24 says, by his stripes you were healed. Healing already belongs to us. Let me bring it to another area. Maybe it'll help us be able to wrap our understanding around it. What if you heard a Christian and every time they talked about how much they loved God and appreciated God, and, and this is what came out, of my, uh, came out of their mouth. You know, I love God so much, and I'm believing one, God, one day that I'll be saved. I'm believing God one day I'm going to get saved. I'm believing God's going to save me, y'all. I'm, you you might see a heathen right now, but I'm believing God that I'm going to get saved one of these days. God's going to save me. And see that our minds, you know, especially if we've been around the gospel for any time at all, our minds go tilt. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. That's not right because salvation's already been bought and paid for. Salvation already belongs to us. All we have to do is receive what Jesus has already done. And so that sounds funny to us. Matter of fact, if, if that's what you're what you believe, then you and I need to talk after this Bible study, because I need to bring you to a place where you're not believing God to get saved. You, you receive salvation and get saved, okay? Because if you're believing God to get saved and you slip over into eternity, I'm sorry, uh, you're in for a rude awakening, all right? So again, we have to be very, very intentional. So where healing is concerned, healing is, is something, and that's just another example, 
But healing is something that has already been bought and paid for. It belongs to us and was purchased at the same time salvation was purchased for us. And so what we have to do is we have to receive healing just like we receive salvation. But from that moment forward, we don't continue to say, I believe I'll be healed. I believe I'll be healed. No, you say, I believe I am healed. You're doing like uh, Paul said God did, and you're calling those things which do not exist as though they do. I am healed. Okay. Now, as we've talked about in the past, uh, you know, when God wants to tie in to Romans 4, 17, when God wants to change something, he begins to speak to it, but he doesn't speak to it in the way that it, it is currently. He speaks to it in the way that he wants it to become. And the way that he does that is by declaring what the end result is already. Okay. So hope is the blueprint. Hope says it's going to happen. But listen, going back to my construction analogy, faith is the construction crew. All right. Let me help you understand this. So faith is what, give, or excuse me, hope rather is what gives you the, the picture of what it's going to look like. So I find in the word of God that, that Jesus already bought and paid for my healing, that healing already belongs to me, that I can be healed. And so I have a blueprint. I have a picture in my heart as to what I look like, what my body looks like made healed and whole. And so as long as I leave it in the realm of hope, it's always going to be, it's going to happen. But what my faith does when I connect the two of them together, remember faith gives substance to those things hoped for. Well, that construction crew takes those blueprints and begins to put together the image and what the architect drew. Well, what faith does, faith goes to work to put together the blueprint of what God's word has already made an image, a picture for me. So faith is like that invisible construction crew. And I heard this illustration and I really like it. Uh, and here's how faith works though, okay? Faith works while you're not on the job site. In other words, if you want to pull up on the job site all the time to see what the progress is, that's not faith. Faith goes to work and you lay your head on your pillow every night knowing that faith is working and that the end result is yours. Let the construction crew do their job. Quit trying to check on them and micromanage them, okay? <laughs> Which is what we do with faith a lot of times. All right, so look at verse 18 there in Romans chapter four. This is another key. So it says in verse 18, who, talking about Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he, uh, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And being not weak in faith, he did not consider. Now you need to underline that word consider in your Bible. It says he did not consider his own body, already did, since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So what were the largest opposing circumstances to their faith working? Well, it was obviously all he had to do was look in the mirror. 
or look at the calendar. He find out, remind himself of how old he is or look in the mirror and see how old he is. Okay. So what he had to do. And then by the way, every time he looked over there at his wife, you know, and she's never, ever had been able to have children. That was another constant reminder, but notice what the scripture says. It says he did not consider his body or the body of Sarah. In other words, the opposing circumstances and, uh, I looked up the word consider in the Greek language. It means this, to, to observe, to ponder, to contemplate. And, and I like this. It said to have respect to or regard. All right? So here's what was going on. Those circumstances were very real. Those were facts that Abraham and Sarah were experiencing. But what Abraham chose to do because of the promise of God's word he refused to take notice, to consider, to contemplate. He didn't allow himself to sit there and dwell on those opposing circumstances, and he didn't allow and have respect for them. In other words, he didn't make any adjustments for those circumstances. He didn't try and help God out or anything like that. He just refused to consider those things and kept his eye on the word of God. Now, I will say this to you. You will not stay strong in faith if, if you continue to look at the natural negatives all around you. And I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm telling you, your faith will weaken if you begin to consider your natural circumstances. And because here's why, if you if you focus your attention on those natural negatives, those circumstances, you will talk yourself out of the promises that God has made you or the things that he has declared over you. So what will happen is, you know, if you have found in the word of God that by his stripes, I am healed, but all you do is think about the negative circumstances going on in your body and what your body is telling you, what the doctors are telling you, what your family members are telling you. And, and, and that might be factual and they might mean well, but if you put your attention on those things sooner or later, you're going to talk yourself out of believing that by his stripes, I am healed. It will, it will move you from that. So Abraham did not consider his natural body. All right. Now here's another key. And, and listen, let me say this. I'm not implying that you pretend like those circumstances don't exist. That's not faith either. Faith is not denial. Faith is denial of those circumstances to control what you believe. But faith is not denying that those circumstances are real. You know, well, let's move on. Romans 4.21. Okay. So he did not uh, consider, well, let's finish 19. He did not, be not weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb, verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And here's verse 21. Here's another key. And being fully convinced that what God had promised, God was also able to perform. Now, underline that word convinced. Some translations say persuaded. 
So something happened in Abraham's heart to where he became fully persuaded or fully convinced that not only was God's word true, but that God would do what he said he would do, that what God had promised him belonged to him. Now, here's the question. It says that Abraham was fully convinced or fully persuaded. Who convinced or who persuaded Abraham? Did God do it? No. I'll answer my own question. No. Okay. God didn't do it. Abraham convinced himself. He persuaded himself. Now, the reason that we know God didn't do it is because if God did it, then all God's got to do is just show up and persuade everyone to get saved and everybody would get saved tomorrow. And God doesn't work that way. But what God does do is he gives you the promise. He gives you the declaration. He tells you what his word says. And then he gives you and me the opportunity to spend time with that and persuade ourselves, convince ourselves that what God said he would do, he will perform it, all right? So you and I, the responsibility to pers become persuaded or fully convinced is on us, not on God, all right? So two, two things real quick that we learned from Abraham here is that he, he was not moved by those circumstances. He didn't consider them. He didn't allow himself to dwell on them. And then the other thing he did is he focused in the other direction and became fully persuaded that God's word is true. Now, when I see people, and as a pastor, I've dealt with this, you know, several times. When I see people that are in a dire situation and they're trying to believe God, you know, and a lot of times it's a physical situation. And so they're trying to believe God for their healing. They're trying to receive their healing. Okay. I would have to say that this area right here, the convincing is the area where most of us fall short in our faith and cause us not to be able to receive what God has for us. And here's why, because it takes it takes effort. It takes work for you to become fully persuaded. Okay. And uh, it's not impossible, but it's very difficult to build a house in the middle of a hurricane. Okay. <laughs> so let me say it to you this way. All right. And just to kind of get to the punchline. The best time to convince yourself of God's word is when you don't need to convince yourself of God's word. The time to become persuaded on healing is not when you're fighting for your life. And a lot of times what we Christians do is wait till we're in crisis mode and then we're trying to believe God. And like I said, it's not impossible. It's, it's not something beyond reach, but but why why put ourselves under that pressure? Why not when things are good and we're feeling good, spend the time in God's word to become fully convinced that I am the healed of the Lord? 
That's the time to do it. Okay. That's the time to build your faith. That's the time to really work and focus on those things. You, you know, I've learned, uh, and I got this from Dodie Osteen, but you know, I, I have found the best time to confess my healing scriptures is when I don't need to confess my healing scriptures. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong. If you're needing healing in your body, if something's going on, by all means, go for it. And, and this is where it's good because we can get somebody else who isn't going through something to jump in faith with us and to believe God with us and help us, help us build that faith house. But what I want you to see is, is that why not, why not speak those words of healing over your body every day when you feel good, not necessarily waiting until you get that bad report from the doctor. Okay. So, all right. Now, Let's talk for just a few moments in the time that we have remaining. How does faith come? How do we receive faith? All right, and I'm going to show you something. Go over with me to Romans chapter 12. You're there in Romans 4. Go over a few pages to Romans chapter 12. And uh, let's look at verse 3, Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Now, I'm going to read it from the Old King James because the Old King James actually has the accurate translation. It says this, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly or clearly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now let's, let's stop and let's back up here. So Paul said this, through the grace given unto me, I'm talking to every man that is among you. So he's talking to Christians. He's talking to the church at Rome. And so he says, I'm telling everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly, but know this, God has dealt to every man or every believer the measure of faith. Some translations say a measure. And that's a little uh, vague because what can happen is you can take uh, using the phrase, a measure of faith, and you can say, well, so-and-so got a greater measure than I did. And that's not the way God operates. God dealt to every man the same measure of faith. Now, when did it happen? It happened when you got born again. God deposited his faith down on the inside of you in your born-again recreated spirit. So uh, what? then the reason God did that is to make it a level playing field for each and every believer, for each and every one of us. I thought I had silenced this thing. I apologize. And so what God did is he gave us all the same raw material to start with, okay? And he did it, and it's all fair. As I said to you before, nobody's going to be able to stand in the face of God and say, hey, you gave Alan more faith than you gave me. And so that's not fair. And so I wasn't able to develop my faith like he did and use my faith like he did and receive from you. No, nope, nobody's going to ever be able to say that. God dealt to every man the measure of faith, the raw material that we all needed. So we all start at the same place. Now, what happens to that measure is dependent on us, not on God. So you and I have the opportunity to begin to feed that faith and exercise it and use it and work it, and it will become stronger at that point. So 
here's here's my point. We all start out with the measure of faith. Now, go go back up a couple pages with me to Romans chapter 10, please. Romans chapter 10. And I want to just clarify this a little bit. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Okay, says this, and we know this verse. Some of y'all can quote it better than I can. It says this, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, so if I was to ask, you know, some of you, I'd say, how do you, how, how does faith come? Well, it comes by hearing the word of God, and that's true, okay? But there's something, there's a little depth to this that very often we miss, okay? I want you in your Bible or in your notes to underline the phrase word of God there, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God, that phrase in the Greek language is the Greek word rhema, R-H-E-M-A. Okay. Now here's, before I say what I'm getting ready to say, I want to, I want to unravel a mystery for you maybe, because there have been services where I have preached a message and there have been people sitting in the room that I can tell heard it, received it, and faith arose in their hearts. And there are people sitting in the room that heard the same, very same words that I spoke, and nothing happened. No faith arose in their hearts. Why is that? Because if the if the the scripture says if faith comes just by hearing and hearing by the, the word of God, then why didn't everybody? Why didn't everybody receive more? Why didn't everybody's faith get fed? Well, here's the difference, and it all rests in that Greek word, rhema. So let me tell you what that Greek word, rhema, means. In the actual Greek language, it means this, a spoken word uttered by a living voice that brings revelation. It is a spoken word uttered by a living voice that brings revelation. So let me let me illustrate it to you this way, using that thing I just said. The people sitting in that room, where part of them heard the, the message, heard the word of God preached, and faith arose in their hearts. The reason that faith was able to be developed and fed and rose up within their hearts is because they heard a voice behind my natural voice that spoke to them and caused that word to become real and, and powerful on the inside of them. In other words, they heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit brought revelation into their heart at the same moment that the other people were sitting in the room, and all they heard was my natural voice preaching the word, and no faith arose in their hearts. Okay, so what am I saying to you? You know, and listen, I'm all for listening to the word. I'm all for listening to messages and podcasts and all of that type of thing. But here's what I want you to understand. Just because you hear somebody preach from the Bible does not mean that that's producing faith in your heart. It's when revelation by the Holy Spirit arises in your heart is faith present to receive what is revealed to you. I'm going to say that again. 
It's only when revelation comes by the Holy Spirit in that word that you hear that faith is present to receive what you hear. Okay? So, let me say it to you this way, and I'll illustrate it. Okay? I can, re and I, uh, I have often regretted that I did not, in my journal, write this down, but I can remember many years ago, and listen, I had been a Christian for a while. I mean, to the point where I, I had actually even gone to Bible school. And listen, I'd been privileged to sit at the feet of men and women of God who, uh, you know, are, are, are great generals in, in the church and administered the word of God. Many of them have already gone home to be with the Lord. I had the privilege of being exposed to that ministry and sitting at the feet of those people and heard them preach and teach on healing, that healing was mine, that it belonged to me, that Jesus has already bought and paid for it and so forth and so on. But it was not until years later that I remember that it clicked and arose. The revelation came of that down in my spirit. And that thing, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but that thing became so real to me that no one nor nothing can ever take that away from me. And so in my heart, there is no doubt that healing belongs to me and healing is mine. Uh, you know, I, I used to hear, and I've said this to you before, but, uh, you know, I heard Brother Hagen use this illustration back in the old day when we had pay phones. Uh, and I saw a pay phone the other day. <laughs> it was all broken up, but I was like, man, I haven't seen one of those in a long time. But you can remember when you would put that dime or quarter before they went away in the that that coin slot and you could hear that coin go all the way through that payphone till eventually it fell in that little container down at the bottom and then of course when it hit is when the dial tone would kick in all right and and I remember brother Hagan saying that um that you have to stay with the word of God until it drops down into your spirit like that coin does in that payphone to where it gets down in your spirit. And he said, when it gets down there, nobody can take it from you. They can beat you with a baseball bat till you're near death and you, they cannot make you deny it or talk you out of it. And, and my point is this, this is what Abraham arrived to when he became fully convinced and fully persuaded that what God said was his and that he was a father of many nations. And so what you and I have to do is we have to be willing to get in the word of God and feed our faith until we become so fully convinced and fully persuaded of that thing. And that revelation gets down on the inside of us. In other words, it moves from here to where it gets down here. And I promise you, y'all, when that word by the Holy Spirit gets down here instead of up here, there is nothing you will not be able to receive from God. And see, what I see a lot of times is people that are trying to receive from God with revelation here or knowledge here, information here, but information in your mind is not enough to receive from God. 
let me just say this and I'll wrap up. I'm, I'm over time. The reason all of us are on this Bible study tonight as born again believers is because somebody ministered the word of God to you concerning the gospel of salvation. And when they did, the Holy Spirit ministered that to you. And it all of a sudden went from something you just heard to something that became revelation in your spirit. And because of that, you believed it and you were willing to receive it. And that faith that arose in your heart because of that is what got you born again. It's what become had become revelation to you. And so, you know, with some of us, it may have taken several times of hearing somebody say, you know, that Jesus died for us. Sometimes it's, you know, I've heard about people that, uh, I mean, I'm talking about unsaved heathen people that turn on a Billy Graham crusade for the first time and hear Dr. Graham preach the word of God and the, the anointing on that word gets down in their heart and it becomes revelation and insight to them and they're able to receive it because the faith arose for them to be born again. Well, it's the same thing with everything that we receive from God. All right. And I tell you what, I'm going to stop right there. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.